Mate, what's going on this week? Welcome to episode 45 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It's so good to have you here. This week, we are digging into nutrition as it relates to the Performance Temple Nutrition Pillar. And also, we're taking a look at power to weight ratio. What does it all mean and how can you improve yours? Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Well, here we go, episode 45 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I'm Maddie Graham and it is good to have you here with me. Thanks for tuning in. Now, it's been great to see that some of the stats for the podcast have been going up, not only on current episodes that I release, but back episodes. So it's awesome to see people uh, getting back and checking out their earlier episodes. Lots of great information on those. Also, another thing, questions. If you have got questions, send them through to me any way you like. Send them via email, via Facebook, via, via Instagram. If you've got a question you want to ask uh, via voice, head over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask, A-S-K, and you can record and send in a voice message for me there, and we'll get those up on the podcast and answer all of your questions so that you can get the information that you need to train hard, but most importantly, train smart. Now, if you follow me over on Instagram, you may have seen recently... I have been doing some Instagram stories, doing little what I've been calling Insta reviews. I read a lot of different scientific research papers and review papers, uh, and what I thought I'd start doing is just sharing those with you, taking wee screenshots of the different papers that I'm going through and posting them up on those Instagram stories. So I've just done one about cycling, where to put your money in terms of and time in terms of training, wheels, aerodynamics, nutrition, that sort of thing. A little research paper about that. Also have covered sleep and also training the gut. These are also topics that we have covered on the podcast, but it's just another way um, of getting that those snippets of information, hopefully in an easy, condensed version, so you can get those key takeaways without having to dig through mountains of research. I have saved those as my highlighted stories over on Instagram, so they will be there uh, forever now, I guess, just sitting up at the top of my profile. If you want to go and check me out over on Instagram, uh, come and join me. I share lots of stuff on there that I only share on Instagram, and it'll be cool to hang out with you over there. My Instagram name, I guess, is EPC. so get over and check that out. Finally, it's that time of the year... <clears throat> For in the multi-sport community at least, that a lot of people start thinking about the coast-to-coast, the Kathmandu coast-to-coast as it's now called. Now, if you are preparing for the coast-to-coast, starting to think about your training, I have got an online training system that is opening on August, at the start of August, uh, specifically for the coast-to-coast. Now, this online training system has training programs, uh, and then also videos covering different aspects that you need to work on. So the idea of the online training system is that there's everything there that can take you from wherever you are now, whether you're a beginner or elite, 
through to race day. Now for the months of August and September, it's 100% free, so you got a two month trial to go and trial the training programs, get amongst the videos, see what you like, uh, and if you wanna sign up after that, you can. So get over and check that out if you are gonna be training for the coast to coast, or if you're a multi-sport athlete looking for some winter training, that's a good place to get some free winter training as well. Don't tell anyone I told you that though. Uh, the URL for that is exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash C2C, as in the letter C, the number two, and the letter C, coast to coast. Uh, if you can't remember that, just head over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website and you will find it through the navigation channels there. Now, just as we follow up from last week's episode, episode 44, we talked about getting ready to race in hot temperatures if you are living where it's cold at the moment. Uh, and I used the word acclimation. Now, people, a couple of people... Uh, hit me up and said, what's the difference between acclimation and acclimatization? Are they the same thing? Well, kind of the same, but they're not not actually. Acclimation, what I was talking about last week, is preparing for an environment or a climate artificially without being in that environment. So what we're doing is if we're using sauna or we're using the heat pump or we're using wind trainer sessions where we dress a little warmer, that's acclimation. It's currently cold, we're preparing for the hot. So that's acclimation. Acclimatization is actually where you go to that environment uh, and you naturally acclimatize to it. So being in the heat. And so a follow-up to that is what's better. And if possible, you want to go to the environment that you're going to be racing in as early as possible so you can get used to it. Not just the heat, but you know the food, the time zone, whatever it might be. So if you can acclimatize naturally, go early then that's all good. If you remember back to episode 44, we talked about it's not great to go and train inside a sauna because your training load or your training intensity drops because of the heat. So if you're going to a hot environment and you're going to naturally acclimatize in that environment, you need to be really uh, careful and apply quite aggressive cooling strategies in that hot environment so that your training intensity doesn't go through the floor uh, and stop your adaptations or minimize your adaptations. So if you're in the cold, apply that hot outside of the training, such as do your training session and then go and sit in the sauna, ideally. Or if you are in a hot environment and you've just arrived in your races in say a couple of weeks, be very aware of keeping on top of that hydration and also cooling the body down so that you are able to reach your required training intensities. So that's the difference I guess between acclimation and acclimatization. Acclimation is artificial in a, in a sense uh, and acclimatization is going to the actual environment or the climate that you're preparing for uh, and doing it through that natural state. So moving on from last week, looking forward to this week, we're gonna be digging into the Performance Temple Nutrition Pillar. So this is the first pillar that we're looking at. If we remember over the past two episodes, we've looked at health and well-being, the foundation of the Performance Temple. 
in episode 44, we looked at the support network and why that's so important. So these are the underlying foundations of our performance temple. Now on top of this foundation sits four pillars. And in no specific order of importance, we've got nutrition, function, recovery, and psychology. All of these four pillars support our physical training. On top of this, we have our traditional periodization, the roof of the performance temple. The, that physical training can only reach a certain height based on how strong these pillars are. If there are cracks in these pillars, your nutrition's not quite spot on, you're not paying attention to your recovery, maybe you've got little niggly injuries because you haven't been looking after your functional training, then the whole performance temple can come crumbling down. And remember, if you want to get your free introduction to the performance temple, you can do that over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. 100% free download to the introduction of the performance temple. So today, we're going to tackle nutrition. Now nutrition can be a very touchy subject for some people. There's a lot of emotion, uh, personal belief, uh, even religious belief goes into nutrition. People have got very strong experiences with one diet, or a way of eating and the other. So what I've really focused on for the nutrition is sticking to the underlying basics that make up all diets. It's about understanding what we're actually getting when we put food in our mouth. How we can use uh, that underlying knowledge and principles to then support our training. So this is not a push towards one diet or the other. We're not going to be talking about paleo. We're not going to be talking about low carb, high fat. We're not going to be talking about uh, vegan or high carbohydrate diets. What I want to do is present you with the basics. And once you have those basics, no matter what line of specific diet you want to follow, you'll be able to use these basics to help you understand and apply fueling around your training and racing. All right, so here we go. Nutrition from the Performance Temple Introductory Guide. There's a mindset among many endurance athletes of, I can eat anything I want because I'll just burn it off in training. And while this is true, you will likely burn it off in training, the reason you need to pay attention to your nutrition is not so that you don't get fat. It is so that you are providing your body with the right ingredients that it needs to, one, function as a normal, healthy human being. Number two, perform the required training. Number three, repair and adapt to the training that you're doing. And number four, maximize your performance on race day. Nutrition is such an important aspect of any athlete looking to maximize their performance gains from training. Large gains can be made through incorporating simple changes into your day-to-day -day eating. This guide is aimed at providing some baseline fundamentals that can easily be integrated into your current daily nutrition so you can maximize your training and your, adapta your adaptation to that training. 
Most people often only think about nutrition leading into race day in the form of what sticky gels and sweet sports drinks are they going to use for the race. However, the day-to-day nutrition for endurance athletes is even more important. To train effectively, you have to take care of your day-to-day nutrition first. Your body needs the right nutrients at the right time to perform daily tasks optimally and be primed for exercise. Adequate day-to-day nutrition provides the best environment for your body to adapt to the stress you place on it through training and allow you to become fitter and stronger. Macronutrient basics. Macronutrients are defined as a class of chemical compounds that humans consume in the largest quantities and provide the bulk of energy. There are four macronutrients, carbohydrate, protein, fat, and alcohol. Carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is a popular topic in sport nutrition at the moment, and there seems to be a lot of confusion around their appropriate use in competition and your everyday diet. Carbohydrate-containing foods provide your muscles with fuel. They are not only fuel for your muscles, but for your brain to keep us functioning at our best. They can be broken down into two distinct groups, slow-burning carbohydrates, also known as low-glycemic, or GI, and fast-burning, high-GI carbohydrates. For smart day-to-day nutrition, choose slow-burning carbohydrate sources that will give you sustained energy in between meals. Examples of low GI carbohydrates are whole grain breads, whole grain cereals, uh, brown rice and starchy vegetables. These carbohydrates are nutrient dense and they provide not only carbohydrate but fiber, vitamins and minerals. Carbohydrates can come from two places for use during fuel during exercise. From stores in your body, in the muscles, in the liver, and from your diet as a food source. During exercise, the body uses carbohydrate alongside fat to provide fuel for exercising muscles. Our body's stores of carbohydrate run out relatively quickly in approximately one and a half hours depending on exercise intensity, which is why there are recommendations to eat carbohydrate throughout training and racing to supplement body stores, if you are going for 90 minutes or longer. In the current sport nutrition guidelines, there is minimal separation in the carbohydrate recommendations between training and racing. Most guidelines suggest consuming carbohydrate for optimal fueling all of the time. However, when you look at the goals of training and racing, they are, they are very different, and carbohydrate can aid or hinder these goals. To find out more about this topic and times when you should not consume carbohydrate during training, read the following article. And I've got a link in the Exponential Performance in the Performance Temple uh, Introductory Guide to an article I wrote about training with no food, which is called Muscle Glycogen Manipulation Training. And you can find that either in the Performance Temple 
introductory guide or head over to tinyurl.com slash training with no food and you can check out that article there what type for when sugars are in food such as lollies sports drinks ripe bananas jam honey white bread and are good for high intensity training competition and immediately after training this is because they are high GI and easy to digest meaning the carbohydrate can be used faster for energy in exercise or stored in the body more quickly than starches. Starches include foods like pasta, rice, potatoes, whole grain bread, rice crackers slash rice cakes, baked beans, spaghetti uh, and breakfast cereals which are good as a general base to make up athletes meals every day. Starches provide other nutrients such as fiber, vitamins, minerals therefore are more important for your overall diet. Everyone is unique. Athletes require more carbohydrates than the general population as they use more energy each day and additional, additional energy is required for training. Therefore, athletes should include starchy carbohydrates with every meal and choose carbohydrate-based snacks. It is important to remember that you are unique in determining what is ideal to eat before, during and after training depending on your sport food tolerance and how different foods make you feel. Now I also have a video that is outlined in the Performance Temple introductory book uh, from new sport nutritionist Whitney Dagg that talks uh, about an overview of carbohydrate so you can click through that. I'll also put a link to these things in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 45 for episode 45. Now we're moving on to protein. Protein containing foods are required in athletes day to day diet to build and repair many tissues and structures contained in the body. They are not only responsible for building muscle tissue but are essential for the optimal function of all bodily cells. Excess protein cannot be stored in your body. Animal foods are considered the best source of protein as they are termed complete protein sources. This means they contain all of the essential amino acids, think about these as little building blocks, required to build any proteins in the body. Plant foods also contain protein, but no one plant contains all the amino acids, and these are known as incomplete proteins. If an athlete is not consuming animal proteins, it is important they mix different plant proteins together to ensure they get all of the required amino acids to build the required proteins in the body. Athletes should include a mixture of protein sources in their diet distributed at each meal and snack over the day. And then there's a wee table uh, looking at complete protein sources, incomplete protein sources, different types of food and how much protein they actually contain. Athletes have slightly higher protein needs than the average person due to wear and tear on their muscles. Different athletic groups require different amounts of protein per day. As athletes come in various shapes and sizes, it's easier to keep track of these requirements by relating to them in size or body mass of the athlete. 
and then there's a wee table outlining different athletic groups and how much protein they need. So elite male endurance athletes require around about 1.6 grams of car. Oh, oh sorry, 1.6 grams of protein per kg of body weight per day. If you're looking at moderate intensity endurance training, that would be most weekend warriors, recreational type endurance athletes, you're looking at about 1.2 grams per kg per day of protein. Resistance training athletes are looking at somewhere between 1 to 1.7 grams of protein per kg of body weight per day. Now, just a few notes. Female athletes require approximately 15% less protein than male athletes. And then athletes who are on a weight loss diet have a higher requirement of protein due to, to maintain muscle mass and help with satiety or staying full. So you can see that it, it's really, it differs. Okay, and this is where diet becomes quite confusing, I think, is that as with training, and I think everyone appreciates that training differs a lot, but they think that there's going to be one diet for everybody. You know, there's no one training program for everybody, and I think everyone sort of is onto that personalized training programs or, you know, specific training programs for specific events or specific races. They're very different. And the same with nutrition. Here we can see already, depending on if you're an elite athlete, uh, doing moderate intensity endurance training or if you're a resistance athlete each one of those things mean you need less or more protein and then female athletes that changes things again and then if you're on a weight loss diet that changes things again so it all comes back to what are your goals what is specific about you alright back to the nutrition pillar fat we are often told to avoid foods high in fat and choose low fat options. Fat has an important structural and functional role within the body, including cell membrane integrity, transports of, transportation of molecules, and cell signaling. The human body, however, only requires a very small amount of fat each day. Fat is very energy dense. It contains 37 kilojoules per gram. Therefore, only a small amount contributes to a large amount of energy. Excess energy above your required level will lead to unwanted weight gain. Now, not all fat is created equally. The processing of vegetable oils creates trans fats, which are more structurally closer to plastics than actual fat. Instead of giving you a list of things to avoid, focus on choosing coconut oil, butter or lard for high heat cooking. Use olive oil and flaxseed oil as dressings after the cooking is done. And avocados, oily fish, nuts, seeds as you get the fats plus the nutrients in these foods. So there's a little thing about fat. Finally, moving on to alcohol. Now, most people are surprised when they hear that alcohol is a macronutrient. Alcohol is formed when yeast ferments without oxygen. Different sugars in foods form different forms of alcoholic drinks. 
For example, beer is made from the sugar of malted barley. Many people think the sugar or carbohydrate in beer is the reason why you shouldn't drink too much of it, as it could cause weight gain. In actual fact, beer contains little carbohydrate as the actual sugar is converted into alcohol. Alcohol contains a high amount of energy per gram. In other words, just like fat, alcohol is very energy dense. Therefore, it is the alcohol in beer, not the carbohydrate that is responsible for weight gain. Humans are not designed to drink alcohol, and it is the one macronutrient that we can live without. Alcohol has also been found to impede training adaptations, which, if you are trying to maximise your performance, should be of concern. Now, with each one of these pillars of the performance temple, I have dug deeper into uh, each of the pillars and put out a separate handbook for each of them. So if you want to find out more, you can get the extended performance temple nutrition handbook. And in that, we dig more into day-to-day -day nutrition made simple, how to snack smart, why is energy density, we've talked about that a couple of times today, important, what supplements you should be taking, and how to deal with GI problems. Now you can get each of the Performance Temple extended handbooks for seven New Zealand dollars over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash PT package, as in Performance Temple package, or you can get all three of them for $18. So if you want to have a check out of those, dig a little bit more deeper into them, then you're more than welcome to. If you want more information above what is provided in the introductory guide. Now next week in our little performance temple segment, we are going to be looking at the function pillar, the function pillar, which is all about the mechanical function, muscle balance, posture, and an athlete's ability to move and live properly as a human being first. So until next week, let's move on to power to weight ratio. Now power to weight ratio. This relates to cyclists, obviously will be quite familiar with power to weight ratio, but also running and to a certain extent other sports as well. Now most people have probably heard of power to weight ratio, but what I find is that many people don't really understand the implications it has to your riding. Now what is power to weight ratio to start with? Well power is the amount of work that you perform on a bike or running or in any sport. Cycling, we can measure it quite easily with a power meter. Running power meters are starting to come out, and also kayaking power meters. So power is simply the amount of work that you do in a, in a certain amount of time. And in cycling, that is how much force you push into the pedals and how many times you spin those pedals around. So you can change the amount of power you're producing on the bike by pushing harder or spinning them faster, or a combination of the two. So normally in cycling, when we talk about power to weight ratio, we are looking at the amount of power you can produce at functional threshold power. 
So at your threshold, your sustained power output, how much power can you sustain for around about that one hour period? So once we have that number, we divide it by your body weight. So this is how much weight that power then has to move. And the way I like to think about uh, power to weight ratio is if you think of a Big Mac truck, it has a lot of power, okay? It has a lot of power, so it's got a massive engine in it. But it needs a massive engine because it's moving a lot of weight. It's got, obviously, the truck, but then the trailer as well, and depending on what's in that trailer, depends on the weight. So although this massive power is there, once you divide it by the weight and get the watts per kilo, it's, it's quite low. And that's why trucks go so slowly up hills. Now if you think about a smaller car, let's say a Mini, okay, a Mini. Now obviously it's quite small, and the engine in it's quite small as well. But what can go faster up a hill? A Big Mac truck or a Mini, or any car. That's why you always pass trucks in the slow lane going up hills. It's because they're working really, really hard to haul all of that weight up against gravity. The smaller car needs a smaller engine, but the power to weight ratio is higher. The bigger the engine, the smaller the body, the higher the power to weight ratio is. Now why is power to weight ratio important? Well it's most important when you're climbing uphill against gravity. Most important going uphill against gravity. However, if you lose some weight, then it actually changes your frontal surface area, which is how much of you is exposed to the wind. If you've got a smaller body, there's less drag as well. So it does have some applicability to flat time trial courses as well, but as we'll talk about soon, it's most important for climbing. The other place it's really important, and this is where it applies to some other sports, is when you are starting from a dead stop. So if you're doing a standing start, or you're doing a start of a kayak race where you're completely stopped, how heavy you are determines, and how much power you've got, determines how fast you can get up to speed. Okay, because you're going from a dead stop to get that weight moving. But mostly it is all about uh, climbing, climbing a hill. So for approximately every kg of fat or non-functional mass you have, so when I say non-functional mass, I'm talking about uh, uh, any weight that's not actually helping turn the pedals. So if you're carrying a brick in your back pocket, that's non-functional weight. It's weight that's not helping you turn the pedals. If you've got a little bit of extra muscle mass, that helps increase the amount of force going through your pedals, that's functional. Fat, if you've got any fat mass, that's non-functional weight, in that it does not actually help you turn the pedals. And this is where uh, we're talking about having a lighter bike could potentially help as well. So any non-functional mass you have, for every kg of that, costs you about three seconds over one, one kilometer moderate grade climb. One kg equals three seconds per kilometer. So if you have a 10 kilometer climb and you have five kgs of excess weight, let's say you've got a little bit of a spare tire around your tummy, because 
it's been winter and you've been hibernating, whatever it might be, then you're going to be about two and a half minutes slower compared to a lighter version of yourself. Same engine, just we're changing the weight. So this is why it can be quite important, is that uh, it can change performance quite dramatically. The newer you are to training, the bigger the effect this has. If you're an elite athlete, then changing your body weight becomes quite hard because one, it's already quite low, and the, and the benefits that you get from it are quite marginal because your power is quite high. If you're an untrained person just starting out, or let's say you've got a couple of years riding under your belt or you're a recreational racer, you have the biggest gains to be made by this. Losing a little bit of weight or increasing your power to improve that power to weight ratio. So let's have a look at a bit of an example here. Let's say we've got rider A. Now rider A is 63 kilos. Their functional threshold power is 300. So if we take their power, divide it by their weight, what it gives us is 4.7 watts per kilo. 4.7 watts per kilo. So what does that actually mean? Well, this person would be a pretty fit Cat 1 to Cat 2 racer, depending on where they live. Having a look at Rider B, they're a little bit bigger. They're, they're 83 kilos, but their functional threshold power is 360 watts. So they're actually producing 60 more watts at functional threshold power compared to Rider A. But when we go weight, sorry, watts divided by weight, we get 4.3 watts per kilo. So that's a little bit less, the power to weight ratio is less. So we've got our Rider B, who's our sort of Big Mac truck, and then we've got Rider A, which is our, our mini, so to speak. So let's have a think about if we were climbing a long climb, who would win out of these two people? Well, we look, Rider A would win because their power to weight ratio is higher. And when you ride up a climb, that's a long sustained climb, you tend to ride it around your functional threshold power. So they're riding along, they've got 4.7 watts per kilo, they are going to complete this climb faster than Rider B, who's riding along at their functional threshold power, and that's 4.3 watts per kilo. How about though, if we go down onto a flat road and do a time trial? So gravity's not an issue anymore. And when you go down onto a flat road and gravity's not an issue anymore, it becomes about raw power. And if you remember back to Rider B, they had 360 watts at functional threshold power versus 300 on Rider A. So in this scenario, given that there's no hills and it's all about raw power, Rider B would more than likely win, given all the other variables about bike and aerodynamics are the same. So maybe this kind of relates to you. Are you do you like long sustained climbs? Are you good at them? If you if you are, you're probably quite got a good power to weight ratio. If you prefer the flats and really grinding out a big gear and using that strength, and you're you know a big Mack truck that's got a lot of engine there, then potentially you know your power to weight ratio is a little out of whack because when you hit the hills you might and struggle on up them. 
Also, when it comes to little undulating climbs, people with a lower power to weight ratio but a higher overall power, slightly bigger people, normally bigger people in, in size and musculature have a higher power output, but their power to weight ratio might be slightly different. That's why when you have a look at the Tour de France, all of your climbers are lean bean poles, and all of our sprinters tend to be quite solid, bigger. The sprinters can absolutely rip it to pieces when it needs to happen on the flats, but on the hills they struggle with all the climbers right away. On little power, short power climbs, people with lower power to weight ratios because of that, over, that body size tend to be able to keep up a little bit better. It's only when the climbs become long and sustained that that power to weight ratio becomes very, very important. So where do you think you sit within that range? Are you the lean bean pole climber or are you the power to, you know, slightly bigger rider, slightly more muscular, have that bigger overall power, but when you hit the hills you struggle a bit? So it's all very good knowing about power to weight ratio, but how can you change it? Or how can you change it? Can you actually change it? So let's have a look. When we come to improve our power to weight ratio, we can focus on two different areas. Obviously we can look at the weight loss or the weight side of thing. And this is where people often first jump. They say, ooh, what can I go and buy that's 100 grams lighter for my bike that I already have? And they go and buy a, a stem or a seat post that's a couple of hundred grams lighter. The other side of things, does that sound like you? <laughs> I bet it does. The other side of things is the power side. We can improve our power through training. Okay, so I want to have a look at both of these sides. Let's start over at the weight loss side since that's mostly where people jump. Now, the thing with weight loss is that it's quite limited if you are highly trained. If your body fat is still is already quite low, then it's hard to lose any more. And you get to a point where if you start losing more body fat, it becomes negative. And you have a look at a lot of the elite riders at the Tour de France, and they are so lean that they look like they've just come out of a you know World War II concentration camp, and they're just skin and bones. And if you, as a, a healthy individual, would try to get to that weight level, you would become very, very sick unless you supplement it your body with some performance enhancing, let's call them supplements. Okay, and this is why the professional Peloton are on a lot of the drugs that they are on, is because if they weren't, they would be very sick individuals. Their testosterone level drops through the floor, that's why they're taking testosterone supplements. Also, uh, growth hormones, all those things. So as soon as you start to decrease your body weight to an unhealthy level, your performance will go through the floor because your body goes out of whack. You're attacking that bottom level of the performance temple, that health and well-being. So it's quite limited for highly trained individuals. If you are a recreational rider and you know that you've got some body fat to lose, then it's probably a good place to start. But the way I like to think of it is focus on it through your training versus getting hung up on weight loss. Because if you get hung up on weight loss 
it can start to impede your performance because it becomes all about weight loss. And weight loss and performance are two very different things. And a lot of people come into endurance sport, I, I find, with uh, a weight loss mindset. Maybe they've started to get into cycling or getting into the gym and starting to run because they wanted to lose a few kgs. And exercise becomes about burning energy rather than training to improve performance. So we can start to get into a bit of a negative headspace. So it's limited in highly trained individuals that weight loss. Uh, and you can only buy so many carbon fiber parts and the, and the amount that you can actually add that up to is quite limited. When your body is in that weight loss state, it's in what we call a catabolic state. It's breaking down the body. It's breaking down fat to use it. It's breaking down muscle fiber. And when you look at the scales, the number on the scales is just the number of your accumulative weight. It doesn't have any differentiation between fat and, and muscle mass. So what we want to do is to improve our performance, we need to be in an anabolic state, an anabolic state. And anabolic is all about building the body, building new you know, muscle cells, new red blood cells, building more you know, muscle tissue. All of those things is, are so important for improving your performance. If you're in a catabolic state, your body can't do it and it'll start to get into that negative downward spiral. If you are looking at losing weight to improve your power to weight ratio, then the off season is the key time to do it. Because over the off season, you can sacrifice a little bit of energy and a little bit of a decrease in your training quality. And that's what's needed to you know, lose muscle or lose body weight. If you're trying to do it in the week before a race or the month before a race, you're going to really struggle because what you're trying to do is limit the energy going in. But you're trying to maximize the energy going out by doing your intervals, doing your speed training. If you're doing that, then it's not going to be conducive to good quality training. So I think the overall bottom line when it comes to weight loss is to focus on your training as this leads back to some weight loss. So let's pop over and have a think about improving our power. So you can improve your power through training. And it's, there's, a, there's a huge potential for that. The other good thing about focusing on your training first is that you get a, a decrease in weight, a weight loss through your training volume over time. Over time, as long as you're sensible with your nutrition. Now, there's not one session. Everyone says, well, what session can I do? What should I do to improve my power to weight ratio? There's no key session to do, all right? But one session that is good for improving your functional threshold power when it relates to hill climbing ability is sustained hill repeats. Now, just going back to that, that original comment, there's not one session that's just going to improve your power to weight ratio. This session should be incorporated into a complete training program that's looked at developing your aerobic base uh, first, getting some transitional training in there before attacking some sustained hill repeats. And then following on from that, there should be some higher intensity, shorter volume work as well. So this is a good session, but it's not the golden bullet, the silver bullet, so to speak. So these sustained hill repeats are really good at developing your sustained climbing ability. 
So what you want to do is after a good warm up, do three to five, depending on who you are and where your level is, of hill climbs of about eight to 12 minutes long. Okay, start at eight minutes and then progress yourself through to 12 as you develop. With these hill climbs, you want to have about a half the amount of work time as your recovery. So if you if you climbed for eight minutes, you want to have four minutes of recovery. If you climbed for 12 minutes, you want to have six minutes of recovery. So the idea of these is to develop your sustained hill climbing ability. What happens is you're, as you're climbing, you get a lot of lactate produced in your muscles. Your body gets better at dealing with it. It gets better at tolerating it. It gets better at uh, removing it from the system. And it also develops your aerobic base so that you start producing more lactate later in the picture, so to speak. So this is a really good session um, if you want to try something to improve your power to weight ratio. But that caveat again, this is not a one-off session. That's that's the only thing that's going to improve your power to weight ratio. It should be included in an overall training program. The other thing that you can do is strength training. Now I've talked about strength training before in the podcast uh, in episode 14 and episode 15. So if you haven't already listened to those, go and do so. If you want to improve your power to weight ratio on the bike through strength training, then get out and check out RideStrong over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash RideStrong. This is a strength training program that I've developed specifically for cyclists of all types, whether that be road, track, or mountain biking uh, to improve your strength, which will lead to an increase in power to weight ratio as well. So there we have it, power to weight ratio. It's really important. It's not the only thing. Again, it comes back to what your goals are, who you are as an individual. Are we able to make gains in your power to weight ratio depending on where you are at in your development? Have you got weight to lose? Yes, then we could do that. Have you got power to gain? Absolutely, yes. Let's focus on developing that as well. Do you need to go and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on lightweight carbon fiber components? Well, if it makes you feel good, go for your life. But you can put your money elsewhere and put your time elsewhere as well to improve your performance without that outlay. So that is power to weight ratio done. Now for any of the resources that I've talked about in today's episode, check them out over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 45 for the episode number 45. If you've got any questions, please let me know. If you want me to answer them publicly on the podcast, just send them on through. If you want me to answer them on the podcast in this public platform, send them on through. Either head over to Exponential Performance Coaching slash ask and send me through a voice message. Otherwise, send me an email or send me a message on Facebook or on Instagram. It would be great. If you want me to answer your questions privately, you don't want the answer and the question shared with the world, head over to Reach Me, which is a little platform where you can ask me a private question for a small fee and I can reply to it in private, either via text or a small video. So if you want to check that out, go over to www.reachreach.me slash Matty Graham and ask me a question over there. Just remember to subscribe to keep up to date 
with everything that is going on doesn't matter what platform you want hit the subscribe button so you get instant notifications whenever I upload things to YouTube or through SoundCloud to iTunes to Stitcher whatever platform you are listening on or come on over to Facebook or Instagram and we can continue our conversation over there that's it for this week mate I hope you have found this week's episode informative and helpful I hope you can take some of that information away from the nutrition pillar and from the power to weight ratio discussion and apply it to your training so that you can train hard but most importantly train smart have a good week I will talk to you next week Thank you.